for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is November 17th, and today's story is electric. What I mean by that is if you love the rut and you love big bucks, today's episode is going to have the hair standing up on your back. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today is episode 136, and today is a good one. And I said earlier, this one's electric, and it is, because I've got a guest on here. His name's Adam Bender. He's an unbelievable human, one of the best out there. They don't make guys like this anymore. He's just so genuine and so nice and selfless, really. I mean, the guy thinks about everybody else but himself first. Um but with that being said, he's a crazy good deer hunter as well, and he goes into Wisconsin this year and kills a stud, and the story is unreal. Like, when we're recording this podcast, my hair was standing up on my arms because of everything that was going on. It's unbelievable. I can't wait for you guys to hear this, but um, before I do get over to the interview with uh, Adam, I just wanted to kind of lay a little bit out of what's been going on. I didn't have a podcast last week because it's just been so busy. Um, Casey and I have been grinding it out in Ohio. And uh, we went from Ohio to Colorado for an elk hunt and then came home from Michigan. And I'm home for literally two days. Got to hunt opening day uh, two days ago. Uh, My dad killed an awesome buck. Hopefully I can get my dad on the podcast here sometime, probably after season, honestly, with how busy everything is going right now. But to talk about that story, and um, it's just, we've been stupid busy, and it's just 
kind of hitting the reset button here before I leave tomorrow for Wisconsin. Casey, not Wisconsin, sorry, Nebraska. Casey and I are going to Nebraska until Thanksgiving. But it, it's been awesome. We had an unbelievable elk hunt. Casey and I, I did in, in Colorado. Honestly, the first 15 minutes of the hunt was really good. And then like for three days, it was not the greatest. And then the last day was really good. <laughs> so hopefully we'll be able to talk about that sometime here soon as well. But I hope everybody out there is grinding it out, especially you Michiganders out there that, uh, you know, opening day rifle season and Orange Army's out there and, you know, and a lot of people are out there killing good bucks. I see uh, my camp in particular here. They killed two good bucks opening day. Uh, my dad killed one and then my cousin Kurt killed another one. And uh, yeah, so the ball is rolling pretty good. But uh, I, I had a slow day. I didn't see a lot of deer. Um, honestly, I sat with my wife in the morning. We didn't see a lot of deer, and I want her to kill something. So she doesn't get to get out and hunt a lot, but her time's coming. She'll 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 get one here soon. So I guess with that being said, though, I don't want to sit on here and do a long dissertation. I want to get into this interview with Adam because it is awesome. So sit back, relax, uh, enjoy the coffee that you're drinking, if that's what you're doing while you're listening to this or your drive to work or whatever. You, um, maybe you're sitting in your hunt blind. I don't know, but, uh, enjoy it. And, uh, good luck the rest of November into late season. And, uh, thanks everybody for the support. All right. Welcome back. This is another episode of the fall podcast. And today I have one of the most, um, solid, I guess I could say solid human beings I've ever met in my life. And probably the one most genuine human beings ever, uh, Adam Bender, Adam, welcome to the podcast. Hey man, didn't need to say that, but appreciate it. <laughs> you are though, man. I mean, you, uh, I've, I've dealt with you for probably what last year now, kind of doing some projects and everything and, and, uh, met face to face at some trade shows. But uh, honestly, dude, you're one of the most, uh, one of the most genuine people I've ever met though. Well, appreciate that feeling's neutral. <laughs> I think, I think we are a dying breed in this industry anymore. Yeah, and, uh, I hope not. To, well, I hope not too. But it just seems like there's few and fewer uh, people that just do it for the right reasons, and they're passionate about it, and they care. And if there's anything I want to be known for, that's that's what it is. Good deal, man. Well, you're on the right track. And and today, uh, you know, I haven't been able to record a podcast in a while just because I've been on the road in the Elk Mountains and chasing those things. And and uh, you recently killed uh absolute slammer in wisconsin is he your best buck just missed best buck uh terminology by a couple inches okay but none nonetheless I, I mean i thought he was my best buck when i killed him okay um probably my best buck ever uh hunt wise as you're about to hear but inches wide yeah just missed uh best buck ever but with with my bow but nonetheless I, it'll be i'll be hard pressed to ever top this deer or this morning in the in the stand well i cannot wait to hear and for good reason i have not heard any of this story and i'm ready to get into it but before we do get started kind of give everybody that might not know you out there just a little brief intro about you and and what you do and and uh who you are yeah perfect um so i'm uh been in the outdoor industry for about 14 years now. Um, started my career with Cabela's and I uh, moved right out of college, moved out to Sydney, Nebraska, and I worked at the corporate office as a copywriter for three years. And then uh, one day I got in touch with a guy named Guy Eastman of Eastman's Hunting Journal. And I moved up there in uh, 2010 
and I really kind of started their uh, web uh, presence, you could say. Did all of their social media, e-commerce, websites, stuff like that. And then uh, some people left over the years, and I picked up a couple of jobs. Um, I started doing the editing for the magazine. Um, was working under a guy for a while, and after he left, kind of picked it all up. Then I started hunting and filming for the TV show and uh, was kind of a jack-of-all-trades there for a couple years and then came back home after my first daughter was born in 2013, came back home to Nebraska, came back to Cabela's, um, and I'm at Cabela's Club in Lincoln. And uh, now I run the uh, Signature Events Program, and what it is is basically we offer exclusive hunting and fishing trips all over the world. And uh, basically taking people on bucket list hunts, you name it, we probably do it. And if we don't do it, we're probably going to do it someday. And uh, manage a small team of super passionate individuals that basically love taking people and uh, being a part of their experience. It's not so much about us, but we work with the best outfitters at the best locations. And we get prime dates and we secure the entire lodge. And uh, we turn around and sell these trips to our club members. That's the people who have our credit card. And um, we basically <clears throat> send along a host and photographer on every single trip. And uh, we document their trip for them, create like a nice coffee table book, and uh, really make them like a really world-class experience for people. And uh, I've been heading that up um, for about seven years now. And uh, a lot of people say it's the best job in the world, which I will say. <laughs> It, it is. It does have its high moments, but certainly uh, does have its low. It is hunting. It is fishing. You can't be in control of certain of those factors. But nonetheless, I've been doing it this long, and that's purely because the good outweighs the bad. So yeah, that's kind of a short, short, short version of what I do. Definitely. And like you said, you kind of got your, your hat in the ring on a lot of different things, but not only the hunting side of things, but the conservation side of things that you mm -hmm. guys are doing is unbelievable. And I've actually got to work firsthand with you on a couple of those. And it's unbelievable the amount of work that you guys put in to make sure you're protecting the animals that, you know, not to mention like over in Africa where you were talking and, and the projects I was working on with, on you with is like protecting those animals and, and uh, making them flourish flourish again you know and and getting rid of the poachers over there and and trying to to keep that at the forefront of things and i think it's awesome yeah i think the narrative you know that is so big in the industry right now is that you know hunters always go to especially africa right like the number one thing everybody always says is well you know this animal provides value which nobody's going to dispute it's 100 percent true um but it goes a lot further than just the economic side and then people will go to the the meat side right so like the meat was donated to the the local villages etc all of that is 100 percent true but we want to kind of take it a step further and say hey look you know the conservation efforts go a lot further than the economic side and the meat side and uh yeah we're working on some stuff um we've done a couple of them as you know saving giants being the, the first one with the elephant collaring in Mozambique. Um, but we've got some stuff coming up over there and we're also starting to bring that model to the States. And we're going to basically show that, you know, 
everyone says hunters are the greatest conservationists, which I definitely believe. But it's going one step further and say, hey, look, hunters are willing to spend their own hard-earned dollars in anglers, too. We're working on some fishing stuff. And we are willing to put that all on the line and their time and their hard work and effort. And we're not going to, you know, kill an animal or we're not going to do anything revolving around catching fish, right? We're going to restore fish habitat. Um, That's the side that I think is so powerful when it comes to actual conservation, you know, everybody loves to throw out that word today, especially on social media, you know, hashtag conservation, but it goes so much deeper than just a hashtag. And I think that is the story that we're trying to tell is that, you know, hunters are going to be the ones to do it. Not these people, you know, armchair quarterbacking on social media. Yep. The Monday morning or Tuesday morning quarterbacks. Exactly. <laughs> if you will. Exactly. Um, I, I would really like to get into that, but we're kind of short on time on today. I think that's for another podcast. We might save yeah, that whole yeah. thing. We the, would definitely go down a <laughs> bad rabbit hole. With we would quick. Yeah. And so today, I guess I want to do kind of a hard transition and get into this whitetail. I mean, right now we're recording, we're in, in November, kind of getting to the latter part. Um, but you put down a slammer in Wisconsin. So basically where I want you to kick this off is – you know, did you have any history with them or, you know, was it one of those, you know, new bucks that showed up or if you did have history, when did it start and, you know, start from there and let's, we'll, we'll get right into it. Sure. So unfortunately, you know, I can't say that I personally have a ton of history with this buck, you know, being in Nebraska, I was hunting on a good friend's farm up there and it was an invite that he extended my way. Um, after being friends for many years, he said, Hey, you need to take some time off and come up here and bow hunt. They've got a, a little slice of heaven, and that's probably putting it lightly, um, in western Wisconsin. And uh, about 500 acres of strictly, strictly managed property. And, I mean, we're talking like the stuff you've seen on outdoor TV, right? I mean, they had the food, the water, the bedding, the the transition areas, the food plots planted back in the timber so they could stage. I mean, it was absolutely meticulously maintained. and they've had this property for a really long time. So they've really built up the age structure and they've passed a lot of, lot of great deer that a lot of guys would be happy killing in order to see what these bucks can become and see what they can get to that next level. And, uh, so naturally I wasn't going to, um, turn down an invite after he'd kind of hounded me for a couple of years and, uh, just being with work and my job and things like that, you know, it's tough to get away, but this year I made it a priority. So I didn't draw any other tags on purpose. And I was going to just kind of invest my whole week into this trip to Western Wisconsin. So the buck that I was after, uh, he was a big, basically mainframe eight. Um, he was actually a 10, um, or, you know, in the Midwest, we would call that a five by five, but what made <laughs> yeah. him so unique was that he had like uh, big kickers coming off the bottom of his brows and uh chris had told me this was kind of the buck he wanted me to go after and uh looked at all the trail camera pictures and chris gave me trail camera picture access early on in the spring so i could see what was on the farm and where and man i mean just some of the deer they had there i mean and and a lot of these deer were were young right they were four-year-olds that they weren't going to take but they were up-and-comers and and they had uh, a lot of potential and this was one of those bucks that was older and uh, they guessed him at six, and uh, he had kind of been on their list for about two years, and he never really put on much more. Um, he threw these two big 
points off his bases this year and they kind of said you know this is probably what he's going to be he yep. just the frame got heavier he didn't add much length um but you know nose dr- drastically sloped off and just was a was a beefcake and they were like you know that he's on the list this year so before I even got there, Chris told me he was like, you know, this is this is the buck I want you to go after. I got you. So when was your week that you were going to be there? So I got there the first week in November. So uh, Halloween was on Saturday, and uh, I drove up um, early in the morning on November first. Okay. So did you have any did you have any worries about it being you know the rut? You know, because a lot of guys they like to save time for either, you know, October, that last week of October, because they're a little more predictable, but like getting into the rut, did you have any worries of like, man, I'm kind of at the mercy of some does probably, or was it just yeah. one of those things that like, I got to get in there and just whatever happens, happens? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's definitely whatever happens, happens because it wasn't my property and something that I did not have history with, but I did have Chris who did. And basically he said, you know, Hey, things are just getting ready to, to pop off. They had an early, a snowstorm that definitely sent them some things in motion. Uh, the thing that we were going to be battling the most was the moon. The moon was like at its absolute peak. Yep. It was that's a full moon on that, the 31st. Yep. Correct. Yep. And that's like a, probably a whole nother podcast, whether you believe the, the <laughs> yep. hunter's moon or not. Yep. But um, the day, the, the daylight movement was definitely not there. Um, and the moon was huge. So I was like, you know, I didn't have a ton of time, right? This was my only week to go. So I just kind of stacked the whole chips and said, let's just, let's go for it. Go for broke, trust Chris, trust the process. And Hey, whatever happens, happens. Okay. So you're coming into this trip. Are you thinking sit all day or is it just kind of get in, see the movement and kind of adjust from there? Normally, if I would have been hunting at home in Nebraska, I would have said, yep, sitting all day. You know, that yep. that uh, uh, probably November 1st to November 7th or 8th, if you bow hunt, you bow hunt all day. And that's, those are just prime days to all day sits, typically in Nebraska. But talking to Chris, he said they would usually sit till 10 or 11 in the morning, break out for lunch, and then be back in the stand by about 2. Okay. And he said, you know, we're, we'll probably do this for a day or two, but if daytime movement picks up, then naturally we're going to change the game plan and, and we'll sit. Okay, I got you. So take us through like the first couple days. Like I can't remember what day you said you shot him on, but like how did the how did the hunt start? Yep. So I got there Sunday. I uh, got there like one thirty in the afternoon, up to the cabin and uh, got unpacked, got situated, had a quick little meeting of the minds, and uh, we were off. Like I wasn't even there an hour, and I was getting dressed, ready to go to the tree. And uh, beans, I didn't really know the lay of the land. I would like I said, I was at the mercy of Chris here and. He said, hey, I'm going to put you in a good stand here in the bottom. There's a pond. It's kind of warm out water. You know, uh, we haven't really been hunting this stand. But um, one of Chris's dad's friends seen this buck at this stand about 10 days prior. So he said, you know, it's a good place to start. And, uh, man, it was crazy. You know, like I've never, like I said, never been on property like this. But crawling up in this stand and just sitting there and looking at all of the work that had gone into this place I mean, it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, it was like it was like a, a deer mecca. Okay. And I was sitting over a pond, and it, I wasn't in the stand probably 15 minutes, and already got deer coming by me. Wow. And the amount of does was just absolutely incredible, and they were all filtering out to this food plot, stopping and getting a drink of water right in front of me. And I'm like, man, all I need is the buck we're after to come do this. Yep. And so you had a buffet was, line basically right there. You had water, much, food, everything. <laughs> pretty much. 
Yeah. And I was at a little pinch point where this pond was about back in the trees, about 50 yards. And, uh, there was beans, standing corn. I mean, it was a straight up white tailed buffet <laughs> and I was just, you know, in the line before they got to go out to the buffet yep. and I wasn't sitting there, but probably an hour and all of a sudden a buck stands up from bedding up on the ridge up ahead of me. Now this deer was one of, and I recognized him right away from the trail camera pictures. Um, they called him the white rack 10 and he was just had a really, really white rack. But I mean, we're talking probably a mid one sixties buck Holy as, shit. A, as a, <laughs> as a four year old. And oh. he stands up above me about 75 yards. And my heart is like in my throat <laughs> because I'm like, that's the biggest deer I would have ever killed in my life. And he's 75 yards away and I've been here an hour. What is going on? Yep. Like, like everything I hoped this hunt would be is happening in front of me. And that buck milled around up on the hillside, never came down. I knew he wasn't a shooter uh, because uh, Chris had kind of gone over what is the shoot, don't shoot. So and, just age, uh, age structure wise, he was yep. not a shooter. Okay. Yep. yep. They knew he was only four. And you could tell, right? He didn't have a lot of mass, um, good length all the way around, just a real solid 10, but just real young, long, skinny face. And you could tell in the body, he just wasn't an old, mature buck. Right. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, 75 yards away, man, my heart was pumping and he came down uh, the ridge a little bit, grabbed a doe and went back up the ridge. And that was the last I seen of him. And that first night had a couple little basket bucks, uh, forked horn come by. Other than that, it was just, like I said, Doe City all night. Um, and then there wasn't a lot of rut activity going on, I'd say. Um, didn't hear any grunting, didn't see any chasing, nothing. But uh, that was definitely going to change heading into Monday the next day. So, I mean, what are your thoughts right now after the first sit? I mean, y- you always go, for me, if you're going somewhere else to hunt, you've never been there. It's like you're taking all this intel from people, this information, everything, like, okay, trying to visualize everything, trying to visualize what it looks like, what you're what you're thinking you're going to see, but now you're in it. You see this, you know, mainframe 10 in the 160s. I mean, that's a stud. Like, so what are your thoughts after the first night? Like, shit, I better, like, buckle in because this is going to get real good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you could have wiped the smile off my face when Chris <laughs> picked me up. Uh, when he picked me up and he was like, how was it? And I'm like, dude, I seen more deer tonight from one tree stand that I probably would have seen if I would have sat all season in Nebraska <laughs> where I hunted. And he just smiled and kind of smirked because he knows how special this place is. And, and he knew what I was getting myself into, but I didn't. So I'm just going to bed that night being like, holy cow, like – this thing is absolutely incredible. Like I couldn't even believe it. I mean, the, the stoke meter was at an all time high because I was like, I've got five more days of this man. Like if I can just get lucky and get the right buck in front of me, right. It's going to happen. Now, was it, was it this deer that you were focused on or nothing? Or was it like you had a list of, you know, potential shooters that if they walked by, you could get the green light on? Yeah, I think, you know, being it was my first invite, I was a little apprehensive on what I would let an arrow on. Like, you get an invite to a world-class property, you are not going to shoot a deer. They don't want you to shoot. Right, exactly. Um, so, I mean, the list was very, very small. 
this eight though was at the top of the list. Okay. Um, and I was like, you know, that was the one I wanted, but we hadn't seen him, right? Like they hadn't seen him in 10 days. He kind of disappeared off cameras. So they thought maybe he got the lockdown with a doe already. You know, you hear about this October lull before the rut. I'm like, so I'm second guessing, like I'm here to get this one buck, but <laughs> he's not here. Um, so nonetheless, I mean, I started doing some mind tricks um, but yeah, it seems like Monday, like everything changed. And then that was when I knew like if we could just find him and where he was and where he would, you know, get a little bit of a pattern, I thought it might work. Okay. So were you like concentrating on dough, heavy dough groups? Like for where, sure. okay. For so sure. food yep. and, and water, stuff like that. You're concentrating on those areas and just hopefully, you know, he comes in to check, you know, any yep. of these doughs. Okay. I got you. Yeah, the, the the property had a bunch of ridges, and so basically, what Chris said was, you know, we'll hunt the ridges when they come out of do- when they come out of food in the morning, and they're heading back up to bedding. And I gotcha. that's just what I was hoping was that you know we were all sitting on ridges, hoping that if there's doe groups heading out of the food, we're going to be in in their way when they come back, and that buck is going to be trailing them. Okay, so coming into the next day, Monday, take us from there. I mean, you woke up, get in the stand, same stand, I'm guessing. So Monday's where it gets uh, a little crazy. So Monday morning <laughs> went to a different stand, um, completely different area and com- kind of like completely different buck. There was a, another buck that had been hanging on this ridge and he was kind of like number two. He was a 10, but he was an older buck and he was heavy, flared out wide. And it was so cold, man. And it was blowing like 27 miles an hour. And that morning was like very, very, very dead. Um, I basically seen a, a doe walk right by the trail that, you know, Chris had put me in and said, this is where they'll funnel out of. And sure enough, that's what they did, but I only saw a doe. And then at about nine 30 had a big, um, young nine point come by. Uh, and it was one of those moments where like, I was trying in my head, like, okay, I know which deer that was. Chris said he was on the fence about him. Like he wasn't a for sure because they didn't have a ton of history with him, but he came back at about nine 30 and it was kind of like meant to be right. I'm trying to find where I can get a shot. He's not stopping. And I tried stopping him, but he didn't really want to be interested. He was on a path to somewhere else. And basically I was just like, there's no way this is going to work. I can't find an arrow or a hole to get through. And then he walked out of my life and I'm like, okay, <laughs> maybe that was meant to be. Yeah. Um, but it was awesome having a big old buck, you know, close now. Now my excitement is even higher because now I'm like, all right, now we're getting dialed in. It's cold. It's windy. You know, does maybe come into estrus. You know, this might just work. I got you. So, I mean, I, I'm getting goosebumps over here. My hair standing on my arms because I want to go back to the rut now because <laughs> I, I just hear, love I that time, there. man. Um, so Monday night is when things got crazy. Okay. So Monday night I went back to the 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 pond stand um again because that was where they had last intel of where this buck was and they had visible sightings by another hunter in there so we got back in the stand, went back for lunch got back in the stand that afternoon got back early and i told chris um you know hey you know i got these extra doe tags can i shoot a doe and he was like hey you shoot as many does as you got tags for because this farm has a ton of does and you know naturally if you're going to grow a big deer you got to keep that doe population in check yep and I said, well, if I get a chance, I might shoot a doe. He's like, have at it. I ain't in the stand two minutes. I'm still fiddling around getting stuff settled. And in walks this gigantic doe. And I'm like, man, it's meant to be. She stops and gets a drink and, uh, you know, stops at 30 yards, comes in 27, not even having a clue I'm there. So I zip this big old doe. She runs 15 yards up the hill, tips over. 
So now I'm like, all right, we drew blood in Wisconsin. I'm excited. I mean, I got just as excited if it was a huge buck and you know, that's why we all love bow hunting. So I've got a doe down. Um, she kind of loop fell down in some brush and for the next couple hours, I mean, it was like somebody flipped a switch and it was bucks and does running everywhere, but they were all, they were all up the ridge from me up the draw about 80 to hundred yards. I could just see deer being chased. I could hear grunting, um, attending grunts, and I could just see the whole thing unfolding up in front of me. And I'm like, and they were too far. But for literally like an hour and a half, two hours, I had nonstop rutting activity. And I'm like, man, like it's going to be good. Like just need them to come down here. But again, that night got to be go time, 4.30 about, and – yeah, it was just nonstop does heading to the buffet line. But now hearing what I had heard, and I could tell it was a lot of small bucks. There was nothing mature up there chasing. But I'm like, man, just need a mature buck to make its way to this valley, and the game could be over. Yep. So you're thinking it's just a matter of time, you know, and For hopefully sure. it happens within the days that you're there. For sure. I mean, now I'm thinking like, okay, now I've heard grunting. I've visibly seen chasing. Like it's on, like now I just need to put in the time. And I had texted Chris from the stand, like, Hey, I think I'm going to sit all day tomorrow. Cause I'm like, man, this is going to be go time. We're going to hit it just right. Um, but never seen much the rest of that night, you know, besides that doe I, I got early. So we got, got her out and got back to, to the lodge and got everything cleaned up. And I had told Chris as we were taking care of that doe, I was like, man, up that ridge tonight, like there was crazy rut activity. I said, nothing mature, but I seen does running. I mean, I told him everything I seen and he's like, all right, I know where we're going tomorrow. So tomorrow now, you know, with that most recent information, we're like, all right, we know where we're going. Game plan was set. And, uh, Tuesday morning we had, we had a game plan going into how we were going to attack things off of what I had seen the night before. Okay. So you get in the stand Sun comes up. Is it the same thing? You know, bucks running, chasing everywhere. So we don't even get to the stand. Oh gosh, this is where this whole thing starts. <laughs> oh man. So we're cruising up in an electric buggy, right? Yeah. And uh, we get to the top of the ridge, and as we swing through on this road, uh, it's a it's a trail through these trees. We swing through. The headlights swing. We turn, and we're just talking, and all of a sudden the buck we're after stands up oh. and he's 20 yards in front of the headlights oh. and my heart <laughs> stops and I'm like, Oh, there he is. I mean, he's 25 yards away, perfectly standing there, but here's the thing. He's not looking at us. The next thing you know, his doe stands up and now we know he's locked down. With he's locked doe. down. Hmm. So basically Chris throws it and a look and you know, nice thing about these electric vehicles, they're quiet, right? So quiet. This buck is not looking at us. He puts it in reverse, backs up best he can in the dark, whips around and takes off out of there. And he says to me, he's like, Hey, you remember that stand that I showed you about five minutes ago? And it was back about a hundred yards. He's like that old stand that I said we haven't hunted in 10 years. He's like, that's what you're going to sit in. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, cool. I mean, obviously now I'm kind of bummed because like we just drove up on the buck that right. I wanted to get, but you never know, right? His and doe didn't was, bust out of there either? Nope. She stood right there. Okay. And and like I said, they were 30 yards away. She was about five yards back behind him. I gotcha. So we get back to this tree and Chris is like, 
I need to check the stand out before you sit in yep. it because frankly, <laughs> nobody's hunted in it and I'm not going to put you in a stand that we haven't hunted. So uh, he climbs up the stand, checks it all out, makes sure it's all good, check, text, checks the guy line. I mean, everything he's, he's comes down. He's like, all right, it's ready to go. He's like, it's going to be a little um, thick up there because we haven't trimmed this. He's like, so, you know, just pick your shooting lane, but there's a big trail in front of the tree and that's, you know, where they should come down. So I'm like, all right, perfect. So I get climbed up in the stand, get my bow hunter all set, done. Chris is out of there. He went a different way. Um, and basically I'm sitting there and barely see the hand in front of my face. And a doe comes walking right down the trail to my left up on the road that we were, uh, or the trail that we were driving in on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like if that doe came this way, she didn't have a buck. I'm like, hopefully there was more deer up there that we right. didn't see. And they're going to feed this way too. Cause it was like a big, nasty overgrown corner of the property. And, uh, Chris said, you know, that's probably where they're going to go to is they're going to go up and over the ridge and get down into the neighbors. Okay. So now are you on the edge of like some bedding? You know, or is it like so, a transition from food to bed or, or I would say where I was, it was kind of, you know, darn near core of the bedding area, but we didn't know it because we didn't expect deer to be okay. bedded there. I got you. Um it was definitely more of a funnel because it was where two properties connected and they had ag fields on the other side of the property, but it was super thick and overgrown where we were up in this corner. But as Chris said, he says a lot of time they go back and forth right here. It was kind of a pinch point. There was beans on one side and just pasture on the other. And, uh, where it made the pinch point, it was really thick and overgrown. And that's where I was. I got you. Um, so I'm sitting up in this tree and now it's starting to get a little bit light. It's about six 30. Can world starting to wake up. I look ahead and I see the buck and he's like the buck, yards. you're saying the buck, oh, the buck. So now my heart is in like overdrive because I'm like, Oh my gosh, he's still here. Like he didn't bust. I figured an old smart deer like this, he's going to be out of here. So, I watch him and he's just milling around eating and his doe is right in front of him. And it's super, super thick. I can't stress how thick this is. And I can just barely catch a glimpse of him, but I know it's him because I can see this big point coming off of the left side of his base. And uh, they mill around for about 10 minutes. And all of a sudden that doe starts walking my way. And oh. I'm like, holy cow. So bow <laughs> comes off the hanger and I'm grabbing the rangefinder, and I'm like, okay, there, there's a little hole right there. 22. There's one that's 30. And I, the whole thing about this was Chris's words of, Hey, you know, it's going to be thick. We never cut this. You know, I never thought how true that would be as this dough starts coming through and she's just slowly, but meticulously feeding this way. And I really only have the one lane, which is right in front of me, straight in front of me that goes out to about 50 yards. And I can pretty much shoot anywhere in there for about 50 yards. Doe comes feeding through, walks a little bit off to the right, walks a little bit off to the left, and finally finds that trail again at about 50 yards and bucks right in tow. And I'm like, holy cow, this is going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I've been here two days now, and it's the you know second morning, and this awesome buck that we're after is literally right in front of me. So I'm trying to keep my composure and uh, double-checking yardages, stuff like that. Doe hits the lane at about 48 yards comes through walks towards me and then gets off the trail and gets in this nasty thick briar thorn stuff and i'm like oh the buck comes behind her and he's right at a tree and it's like decision time right because now i'm like if he follows her i have no shot or this is my shot if he comes from behind that tree right 
So I range it. It's 44 yards. And I'm like, Ugh, like I don't want to take this shot. But yep. This is like my one shot. And I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, okay, so now I'm doing the, you know, watching the flight of the arrow. I'm like, okay, we're good there. Picking my hole. And uh, I'm like big wide open hole. Okay. If he, if he comes from behind that tree, I'm going to take the shot. I'm like mentally telling myself, like, I'm going to do this. Sure enough, he comes around the tree. I draw turns broadside and I'm like, okay, so I know he's right at 44 yards, right where the doe got off the trail. And I'm checking again. I'm like, okay, we're good here. So there's some branches out in front of me that I'm focused on at about uh, probably 10 to 12 yards. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to miss that to the right. I'm good. And, and all this is happening in like, war- I mean, super warp speed. Like absolutely, you're like, these Rolodex of ideas are going through your head. You're probably sweating. Your freaking heartbeats in your chair, you know, you know, your throat. <laughs> it's like there was no time to think. It no. was only react. All I mean, reactions. It was like I went from like we're gonna bump this deer out of here because I see them in the headlights to holy cow, this deer's less than fifty <laughs> yards in front of me. So I'm I draw, I'm aiming, I'm holding, I'm checking my arrow again one last time. I'm like, yep, we're good, and I start pulling through. And as soon as that release goes, plack, and the arrow goes sailing over the buck's back and oh, ricochets through the trees. No. So while I was focused on a 10 to 12 yard tree limb, I should have been looking at the one that was 18 inches in front of my bow. Oh, oh my gosh. I smacked a tree right in front of me and the arrow went over the buck and it made a whole bunch of rackets. So the buck and the doe were looking back where the arrow went through the trees, hitting the trees and stuff. And they never even looked at me and the doe never even spooked. The buck just kind of looked like, what was that back there? And I'm like, Holy cow. So now I scramble, grab another arrow. Well, by then hops off the trail, gets in the thick stuff. And now I'm just sick because now, I mean, the roller coaster of whitetail hunting, I've just <laughs> buckled in and I'm, I'm on the worst part of it now because I just missed the giant buck that I drove all this way to come get and I just missed him. And, you know, add insult to injury. I, I have this limb hanging two feet in front of me dangling that's cut in half and oh uh, just sitting there. And, I, and you know, I, I want to pull it down and break it in a million pieces, but I can't. <laughs> so this is where it gets wild because the next two and a half hours, this buck and this doe bedded, fed, and grazed around within 50 yards of the stand No, right in front of me. Oh my gosh. So they are literally 48 to 52 yards in this nasty thick stuff. I mean, I can see him clear as day, but there's no shot. Um, but they literally, I mean, he has got her locked down. She would stand up, go to walk off. He would come over there and basically corral her, put her, and she'd bed back down. He'd bed back down. So at about nine, was it nine thirty? Nine thirty. I look over to my right and through the trees, I can see a buck coming and I look and this buck is bedded down and his doe's bedded down about 10 yards away. And, um, you know, he's bedded just like you'd expect. He's got the wind right. And he's looking down and all of a sudden I see this buck coming through this nasty stuff up the ridge. Cause I'm at kind of like the top of the ridge. This buck starts coming and it's the, the wide framed white rack 10 from the night before and he's all bristled up and i'm like oh this is about to get interesting this is gonna get good (laughs) he comes up the ridge and as soon as he tops the ridge he sees the doe 
And now he's just straight, you know, I call it the drunken sailor walk <laughs> where he's got all of the bristled hair. He's just straight showing off of this doe. Well, he doesn't see the buck. Now my buck stands up and it's so thick. I can't, I can't even probably visualize this through words, but it's just briars and nasty thick stuff where they're at this 10 point is coming up the ridge. He's trying to pick a point to go around this big buck barrels through the heart of this stuff literally and rams this 10 point right in the side, knocks him over, knocks him over. The other, the 10 recovers, gets to his feet and goes crashing down the ridge with this buck chasing him. And the meanwhile, the doe is still laying right there. And I'm like, Holy cow, what just happened? So now this buck is chasing off the doe. They're chasing off the buck. The doe, bow's still bedding there. Next thing you know, I see the buck coming back up the ridge, my buck coming back up the ridge, comes over, checks on his doe, beds back down. Oh and I'm just like, gosh. no way. Well, and a lot of times, too, that doe, if a buck chases that other buck off, a doe will kind of take that as like, I got to get the hell out of here. You know, you right. see that a lot, too, but she must have been really ready. You know, and, for yeah, her body telling her, I got to stay here. You know, right. nature takes she, its course kind of thing. She never moved. I mean, she wow. would bed down, get up, feed a little bit, lay back down. So Buck beds back down with her and they're at 50. He's at 52 yards. I mean, I can see every inch of his horns, but I just cannot pick out any vitals, no nothing. Plus, there's no shot opportunity. It's so thick. And he's off to my southeast, which was like the thickest part of where the tree was. And I just couldn't shoot. Next thing I know, another little basket buck comes from across the neighbors, and he hops the fence. Now he smells the doe, and he comes walking in. The buck stands up, lets out the loudest snort wheeze I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) Um, I'm not a very good impersonator of it, so I won't do it. But it was the loudest, longest snort wheeze I've ever heard. And the, the little buck, he'd never even seen the buck bedded, but he you know, obviously smelled the doe. He now sees the buck, lets out a snort wheeze. He turns around, hot tails it out of there because he knew it was going to be bad news <laughs> if he took any more steps. Well, that snort wheeze kind of changed everything because now the doe, you could tell to your point that you just made, she was feeling like, uh, I kind of want to get out of here yep. and go you know, somewhere else. She starts to feed away from me and I'm like, oh no. And like now it's now I'm sinking again, right? Because I'm like, I need them to come back to the north to basically get them across that trail so I can have another shot because there's no way to take that shot. She starts feeding a little bit to the to the east. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I don't know, she turns left and starts coming to the north. I'm like, okay, we're we're in the chips here. Like this might work. Sure enough. About two minutes later, she feeds across the trail in front of me, and I range her. She's at 30 yards, and I'm like, okay, perfect. Now I'm double-checking, like, he should come behind her. Well, about another minute or two goes by, and here he comes, and he's starting to walk through the trees, and I'm ranging, and then finally I see a gap because I can tell that he's not going to go on the same trail. He started to angle off away from her, but he was still obviously not leaving her. So I find this little hole. It was about the size, probably, I don't know, maybe volleyball, maybe basketball. And I range it, and I I mean, it's perfectly clear. And I range the bottom of the hole, and it's 34, and I range the top of the hole, and it was 38. So now I move my pin on my slider, and I'm ready. And I'm like, if he walks into that hole, I'm going to take a shot. He starts coming towards the hole, and then all of a sudden he gets into the hole, but his vitals are covered up with his front leg. He's kind of back. He's quartering away, 
and I range one more time. Now I know for sure he's 37. Dial my pin to 37, and I'm like, just open up that front leg. And he stood there for about 10, 15 seconds, takes a step, opens up the front leg, and now, like, time is standing still. Because yep. I'm like, here's my shot. Like, I'm about to get a shot at redemption on the you know one of the biggest bucks of my life, and he's at 37 yards, quartering away, not a clue in the world. The doe's off 10 yards to my left now. He's going to come that way. Here we go. Draw back, settle in. And it was like watching poetry in motion. Literally, I watched the arrow arc through the center of that hole and disappear right behind this shoulder, right oh. in the pocket. I just got chills, man. I just got <laughs> chills. I wish I could. I, w- I mean, I wish you could see my hand movements right now. I'm drawing the arrow and all this stuff. You're anchoring but, in. <laughs> but literally, I watched this arrow disappear right in the pocket. You know, when you hit ribs, you hear that. Oh black. yeah. Yep. But when you when you hit that pocket, it's just a nice fleshy thump. And I heard that thump, and arrow comes out the other side, and he takes one big lunge. And I just immediately see blood coming out of the entrance wound. And I'm like, oh, he's heart shot. Like, he's 100% heart shot. He took about six big lunges, and it's just, I see the blood, and I know that there's dead on his feet. He takes off through the trees, and I watch him do a cartwheel from the stand. Oh, my gosh. And I range him, and I shot him at 37, and he was dead at 59. No way. You lucky dog. I mean, people in, like, you and I had this discussion about the deer that I killed last year in Iowa. Like, that's, you know, people, there's a fraction of people that will even get to see that deer in a lifetime. And you got two opportunities at a deer that's similar. You know what I mean? A giant, once-in-a-lifetime deer that you lucky dog. (laughs) There's no other word to explain it. I definitely didn't deserve that second shot. But that hot doe, you know, 100% was the reason he died. Do you um, think he wasn't? I'm, go I'm, ahead. Well, do you think if those two bucks went to come in and kind of got her a little antsy and wanted to get out of there, yep. do you think? I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but do you think you would have been had another opportunity, or she just probably would have went the other way? You know, I don't know, but I'm gonna bet you're right because they were pretty content up there. Like I said, two hours. I had yeah, them yeah. right in front of me. Yeah, and um. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think that pressure was she had enough of it, and she's like, all right, I'm getting out of here. And the nice thing was the pressure came from the way that I, you know, couldn't shoot. Right. So it pushed him the way that I could shoot. And uh, she drug past and, like I said, brought him behind. I mean, yeah, there's there's no reason, man, to miss a deer, you know, a six-year-old buck. That, I mean, that, that those guys are the masters of the woods. They've seen it all. They've 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 smelled it all. And to, to get him fooled just because of that doe, um, I mean, I just, yeah, luck, 100% oh luck. I mean, gosh. there was nothing I did that should have killed that deer. I didn't call at him, didn't rattle, didn't grunt, nothing. Um, just kind of let the doe dictate what he did. And like I said, after that miss, just luckily drug him back through the hole. 
No, I guess I, I bet Chris is probably going back out and probably trimming that stand and getting it all <laughs> ready to go. So needless to say, now the new that stand is now called the new guy stand because <laughs> the last two deer that have been killed out of that stand were killed by new guys. That's awesome. So now, now the stand is called the new guy stand. That's but awesome, yeah, I, man. I texted Chris and he couldn't believe it. I mean, he was freaking out and he was like, no way. He's like, he came back. And I said, yep. So I waited for him to come. I mean, I could see the deer down, but I'm like, I'm not going to walk up to this deer until Chris is here. I mean, it's his property. He does all the land management, everything. Like I'm going to wait for him. I'm just, I respect for him. And plus, you know, walking up to a deer with a good buddy versus yourself is even more important. So yeah, Chris got over there and and he was like, where is he? And I was like, well, there's some blood right here. This is right where I shot him. And I mean, it just, you know, painted carpet. Chris (laughs) was like, you know, I, I, I let him to believe that I didn't know where it was and we're falling blood. He's like, here's good blood. Here's good blood. And he's taking Snapchats and Instagram stories. And <laughs> little does he know that I know that buck is dead right up there. That's and I awesome. let him follow the trail for a little bit before I told him like, Hey, like you can stop taking this so seriously. He's, he's right up there. <laughs> <laughs> so walking up on him, what did you, what was your thoughts? Like, holy shit, like this deer's bigger than I thought or. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, just kind of serendipitous. I couldn't believe it happened, you know, to bump him in the headlights, to get in a stand that hadn't been hunted in years, no shooting lanes, miss him, sits in front of me in the thick stuff, bedded with a doe for two hours, kill him three hours after I first miss him. I mean, been a part of some pretty special moments, bow hunting, but that one was pretty cool because it was just it was obviously meant to be right. There's yep. no reason that for buck sure should not have taken off through the trees after that shot, but having that doe, he obviously wasn't going to leave her watching him ram that other four-year-old buck and knock him off his feet. I mean, just put my hands on some deer over the years, but that was one that was just that much more special just because of the way it all came together. Yep. Um, a buck of that age class of that caliber to, um, be in the presence of a deer like that for three hours um, was just way too cool. And yep. getting to pick him up and seeing these big tines coming off of his bases and just heavy and massive and not very wide, but, you know, just an old, mature whitetail. It was pretty awesome. Well, and that, I mean, that's what I love about whitetail hunting is just – the the way things unfold like you said it's a roller coaster every day it could change every minute of every day you know and mm-hmm. when you're in the fall and it's you know you miss and you're down and then you got to get yourself back up while you're watching this deer for 2 hours and it's like yep. you got to get yourself back hyped up and and get locked in and I wouldn't necessarily yeah it was a little bit of luck but I wouldn't say you didn't do anything i mean yeah that doe had to come by you but i mean you you threaded the needle again and I mean, pinwheeled them. So, and then, you know, to, not to mention when you're driving in that morning and getting, getting him in the headlights, like, and then making the decision to move and go to a different stand. Like that's, that's a hard thing to do, you know, like, yep. man, it's, you know, you don't want to bump the deer, but you know, you had a plan and you executed and, and obviously Chris is freaking dialed with what he's got going on over there which is really cool and that's what fascinates me about land management and people you know honing in on their properties and and getting getting them dialed to know like that is so cool to me um yeah absolutely but that's awesome so i guess the the big thing is like what did he end up scoring out what did did he tape (laughs) at (laughs) well so you know we 
I mean, we, we had kind of rough guesses, right? And we were like, all right, he's like a mainframe 150, but he's got this, you know, junk off his off the bases and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and, and scores never been a big deal to me. You no, know, I've killed right. book animals and I've never entered one. Um, just cause it, you know, I know it and that's really all that matters. Um, but we ended up taping him. He was one sixty and an eighth, um, Such just a big basically deer, as a, as a four by four with some extra stuff coming off of his bases. Um, but you know, you know, maybe will I kill a bigger deer someday inches wise? Maybe. Um, if I don't, I'd be perfectly happy if this is my biggest ever, but, uh, it was just, like I said, an age class thing and to have history with him. Chris's family had a history with him and to, you know, just be in the presence of a buck like that for that long, getting to watch their mannerisms and see how they position themselves with the wind and where they can see and chasing off those other bucks. I mean, he could have been a, a 200 inch deer and he still would have been just as special to me. Yep. Um, because like I said, his age, age class is really what, what made it for me. That's so awesome. And that's the thing, like six and a half year old deer, like he went through six falls you know, six yep. ruts, six, like the, the stuff that deer has encountered. And I mean, how many, that's when I shot the Hambino last year. I'm like, he was seven and a half. I'm like, man, how many times have hunters seen him or shot at him? Or, you know, there's probably guys out there like Chris that were like, you know, cause I was a non-resident, but like people on the, he probably lived on someone's property that was like, I really want to hone in on this deer. Like, that's just what fascinates me. It's, you know, the things that they endure every year and to get a whitetail to that age is just, it's sometimes it's unheard of. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's definitely the oldest deer I've ever killed. Yeah. Most mature deer I've ever killed. Um, I mean, it was, and to do with a bow, right? I mean, yep. it was just close proximity of a deer of that caliber for that long. You know, like I said, the inches really didn't matter to me because yep. the experience was for sure was so so incredible and you know like a lot of people message me and text me like how big is he how big is he and when i said uh, you know i said he's like a 160 deer people are like oh i'm See, like that's you guys what... like a 160 deer like a lot of people that drives me nuts and never see a 160 yes. deer let alone kill one i know it. it drives me nuts like my dad killed a buck yesterday on opening day of michigan's gun season and you know, it wasn't the biggest deer. He was a three-year-old that was probably like 110, 115. But I'm telling you what, like that that deer made him so happy. And I haven't been able to come home for opening day with him in years. And to be able to be at deer camp with him like that, man, it didn't matter. Like that was yep. just was awesome, you know. So. You get to a point in life where the experience really, really outgrade. You know, they call it the stages of the hunter. For sure. And you get to that stage just where it's not about the size. It's not about punching a tag. I mean, we were all there at some point, but you get beyond that. Yep. And, I, and I think that's that's really what made this experience so much better for me was, you know, an invite from a good buddy to come on a property, to have a plan, to kind of be at his mercy and just, Hey, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. You said, tell me to sit all day. I'll sit all day. Yep. Um, I'll tell you, you know, you tell me where to go. I'll go there. You tell me what buck shoot. If he comes by, I'll shoot him just to have it all work out. I mean, yeah, I know I say it was luck, but, um, it just, it truly was probably one of the greatest hunts of my life. Um, being there with a good friend, and uh, like I just said, I've, I know I've said it multiple times, but being in the presence of a deer that's that old and been through that much, and you know that he has seen and smelled it all, and to <laughs> yeah. you know just get get lucky and have the right wind, the right scenario to arrow a buck like that at 9:55 in the morning on a beautiful day, bluebird skies, high pressure. 
I mean, it was just everything you could dream up of a, of a bow hunt. Yep, for sure. Dude, that's awesome. Well, I don't want to cut you right off here, but I got to get on a on a call here in a minute, and I know you got to get back to work. But, man, yep. I greatly appreciate you coming on and doing this, and this won't be the last one. I know that for sure, but you get you had me going, so I got to get out in the woods too <laughs> and get after I'm it here. I'm out. I got nothing left, so now I get to look forward to ducks and geese. There you go, man. Well, thank you very much, and I appreciate you coming on and doing this. Appreciate it, buddy. We'll talk soon. All right, thanks. See ya. All right, see ya. All right, there you have it. I mean, what an awesome interview with Adam. Thank you to Adam for coming on and doing this. He's such an awesome guy, and I appreciate him coming on and doing this. But uh, thank you to everybody out there as well for the support and the downloads and all the content, you know, the 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 messages coming in talking about how the content's awesome and the guests are awesome. I really appreciate that. And actually, this last weekend, I had some people actually come up to me and say that they love the podcast and uh, they really enjoyed it. So thank you guys very much. Justin and I really appreciate everything. Um, If you could go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and leave a review. I mean, if you like it or you didn't like it, either or it's fine. Um, Tell somebody that if you liked it or not and uh, spread the word. I appreciate it. So thank you very much. Good luck the rest of the season. And uh, we'll talk to you guys here soon right on the fall podcast.